Pastor Keith has been preaching on um, uh, faith and the need to build our faith um, and need to work on our faith. And have, the question is, has your faith been being built? Are you, are you sensing a rise in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the temperature of your faith? And thank God for what Pastor's doing. Thank you to the worship team who led us this morning and uh, everybody else who helps put on what we're doing. Um, thank you for, for just being a part of the community of faith. We, we are not a community of doubt. We're not a community of fear. We're a community of, you, you got it. So you're not a community of doubt or fear or unbelief. You're a community of faith, and we're a faith community. And it's interesting how many so-called, quote-unquote, faith communities have no faith. It's, it's bizarre when you think about it. Sometimes we, when in my work that I do in Altoona, which is with the Nehemiah Project, um, we describe ourselves as a faith-based ministry. And what most people understand that to be is that we um, have some sort of code of ethics or we're nice and we're not. But we, if, we, if we were, um, we're nice and we believe in God. That's kind of what they mean by faith-based. Meanwhile, we act like all the other organizations. And we have to actually stop and, and, and I, I will host a dinner with some politicians next week, and uh, we always take time to say we're faith-based, but understand what we mean by faith-based. We actually mean that we operate by faith. We never have any money to do anything before we go to do it. We, we tend to step out and, and, and hear the voice of the Lord and then respond to it. We tend to, we tend to constantly um, dream of things that we would never dream of on our own because we sense the Lord is directing us. So here's the deal. Understand this, that when we talk about being faith-based or being a community of faith, we're not just talking about we have some sort of ethereal kind of uh, uh, response to some unknown God. No, we have a personal relationship with a God in whom we trust and in whom we believe and in whom we have faith. And because of that, we actually believe that that God intervenes in the realm of human affairs. He actually invades our natural with his supernatural. So, Pastor Keith, as he's been teaching on this, it comes down to our willingness. Notice I say willingness. It's our actual willingness to choose to believe. For that which is beyond the, the, the realm of natural ability. I couldn't do this, that which I'm believing for. I cannot do this on my own. For that which can only be attributed to God. I look back and I say, that had to be God, for only God could have done that. For that which we will later look back on and say, wow. Wasn't God directing our path? Wasn't God leading us? Maybe in the midst of it. One of the things I pray when I pray for people, I pray that they will have this experience with God so much so that they will look back, even in the midst of their present confusion, look back a year from now and say, didn't God move? Didn't he superintend? That they'll actually have 
They'll actually have a faith beyond their understanding. And a faith that will actually lead you to tell others and the generations that follow you. One of the things I've conscientiously done, my, one of my brothers has conscientiously done it as well, is he has reminded his children, I have reminded my children of how God invaded my father's life. And we tell that story not once, not twice, not five times, not ten times. We tell that story dozens of times of how God came into my father's life and changed the direction and the destiny of our family. We want to tell the generations. Now, my, my, my seminary degree uh, is in Pentecostalism. So what that means is I studied characteristics of what it meant to be Pentecostal or what it meant to be a charismatic. And, and there's a theologian by the name of Simon Chan who um, says this, if you want to discover the ethos of an organization or, or, or of a movement, you go back to its original 10 years, the first 10 years of that, and you'll discover the ethos of that organization. And one of the things that we learned is I... I I kind of did some research and, you know, obviously had to write a lot and, and did some stuff. But uh, one of the things we, we, we discovered was, was that there were, 12, there were 12 characteristics of being Pentecostal. And I won't go through all 12 of them with you, but I will go, I'll, I'll mention one. Is that Pentecostals told their story. Pentecostals were constantly telling stories. They were not highly... They were not highly um, uh, given toward theology or doctrinal statements. They certainly were against stating a creed because creeds bespoke of dying religion and they didn't have creeds, but they told their story. And it was just one story after another of something that God had done. I remember reading the first apostolic faith magazine paper that came out of the Azusa Street Revival in September of 1906. And it's just filled with one story after another. It's, 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 this, it's, it's 11 by 17. It's four pages. There's no graphics. There's no pictures. It's just one story after another and a little bit about uh, what we believe sprinkled in there and about what was God doing in this group and that group and who was coming to Azusa Street and all of that. And, and one of the stories that was in there was this, this gentleman who... Was who had came to Azusa Street and received Holy Spirit baptism, and he had this wonderful experience in God. And then there was a prophetic word over this gentleman that he was going to go to a foreign country, presumably in, in the continent on the continent of Africa, I believe it was. He was going to go to some foreign country as a missionary. And so, you know, you're there and you're getting this prophetic word, isn't this wonderful? And then the prophet prophecy went on to say, but he will suffer martyrdom while he's there. And they point they, they print this in the in the in, in the, and I can imagine being the guy, and um, and then and then and then it says we look forward to hearing good reports. <laughs> it was all about the story. They told their story. The story was very very important to them. My father used to. Uh, we used to go to church on Sunday night. This is back when you went to church Sunday morning. Um, uh, for Sunday school, and then you went to church after that, and then you went home and, and, and ate copious amounts of food, and, and, and then went to a food coma for a couple of hours, and then you went back to church on Sunday night, and, and, uh, and, and that was testimony night. How many can remember testimony night? 
Isn't that great? There's a few that can't. Uh, so my father would, we would be going to church, and we would say as kids in the car on the way to church on Sunday night, Dad, don't testify. Do not testify. Because my father was five foot two, he was short and he was stocky, and he had a testimony, and he didn't just get up and say, listen, I used to be a drunk. My father would get up, get out in the aisle, and then he'd get his arm going, and he'd go, he'd go two or three aisles back, two or three aisles to the front. He'd be preaching up a storm, and the more he preached, the smaller the rest of us got. We just sunk down into the pew. But he told his story. I was with him as a child, and we would be in other contexts, not just in church, where he would tell his story. So my encouragement to you today is to tell your story, to testify, use the narrative of your life to build the faith of others and your own faith. When you use the narrative of your life, you build the faith of others and your own faith. Somebody says, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, I don't know how to build my faith. Just look back on what the Lord has done for you. And then tell your story to yourself again, over and over again. Look at David and Goliath. They were in an untenable position, facing major defeat because the giant could not be defeated. They doubted that a young man who tended sheep would be able to help them. He seemed like a braggart. He seemed overly confident. But he tells the king his story, the story of fighting the lion and the bear on two separate occasions, rescuing his sheep. And in telling the story of how he was able to do that, faith began to well up not only in David's life, but in Saul's life, the king. And Saul began to become confident that, in fact, if God could get David to fight a lion and a bear successfully, maybe somehow he could actually face the giant. And so what, is, what, is, what has happened? The scripture says this in 1 Samuel 17 and 3, the Lord has rescued me from the Lord who rescued me rather from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. What happened? Saul had previously said this. Listen, I want you to know something. Understand this, please. You're you're, 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 you're not going to be able to fight that giant. Just stay, stay away. Let us kind of figure this out. Don't bother us. And what does David do? He tells his story. And in telling his story, what does Saul do? Saul begins to say, hey, I think this can happen. King Saul doubted that David could, could defeat the giant until David told his story. David later would say this. You know the scripture well. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Are there any in this room this morning who have a story to tell? Are there any in this room who can say, I know God. Maybe you're like David. I wrestled, from, I, I, I dealt with the, I was rescued rather from the paw of the lion. I was rescued from the paw of the bear. Is there anybody who can say, I had an experience with God so, so explicit, so dramatic, uh, so unmistakable. I know it was God. And because I know it was God, I say to you today, this has been my story and the redeemed of the Lord are going to tell their story. Is there anybody that's got a story to tell today? I hope you do. I hope you have a story to tell. Listen, here's the deal. The psalm was a hymn of thanksgiving for the purposes of making the Lord's people reflect on how good God was. Consider Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, and he's the ever-present help 
in trouble. I love this. I love this because, you know, when you have trouble, for instance, you have to move. I used to say to my children, don't fight with your siblings, please. You might need them to move one day. Because moving is a real test of your friendship. You know that, right? Somebody says, I've got to move. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'll probably be in the hospital. I've, I've got an ulcer. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of dying that day. Um, you know, uh, getting somebody to help you move is a big deal. And I used to tell my children that. And so now, every once in a while, they'll, 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 they'll send a text to the group text in the family and say, we're moving. How come I can't get any help? And all the children are scattered everywhere to ensure they don't have to help each other. Here's the deal. God is the ever-present he- t- help in the time of trouble. He doesn't run from you in a time of trouble. He runs towards you in a time of trouble. There's an emphasis on building faith in us and declaring God's great goodness. Here's what the scripture says in Psalm 34, verses 1 to 8. I will glorify the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. I glorify the Lord and the afflicted hear and rejoice. I'm afflicted and somebody else is glorifying God. What do I do? I hear it and I start to say, hey, thank God there's a God in heaven who can meet my need. The Lord is with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. I'm telling, I'm telling uh, uh, my friends, I sought the Lord and what did he do? He answered me. He actually responded to my need. There's a God in heaven. And he heard me, and he responds to me, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Listen, do you realize we are living in an absolute state of fear in our current environment today? Absolute fear. Fear from violence, fear from political upheaval, fear from uh, uh, medical issues, fear uh, from, from uh, family issues. There's all kinds of fear going on. There's fear of the economy. There's fear. There's fear. There's fear. I sought the Lord, and what did he do? He heard me, and what did he do? He delivered me from all my fears, and I'm declaring that, and as I declare that, what happens to those around me? They begin to say, hey, there's something to this, serving the Lord. Those who look to him, what happens? Their faces are radiant. Their faces are never covered in shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of his troubles. Taste and see. Now, I, I'm telling you, the Lord, this poor man, this poor man here, he, he's, been, he's been experiencing all these difficulties and the Lord delivered him. Now, what does the poor man say to the friends who are listening? Taste and see that the Lord, the Lord about whom I'm speaking, he is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So I'm declaring the goodness of God. I'm building myself up, but I'm also building the faith up of those who are around me. Blessed are the ones who take refuge in him. Come, my children, listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying, because your faith will be built too. Telling your story is a powerful method to build your spiritual muscles and to believe God for more in the days ahead. Build your spiritual muscles, but also you get to build up the faith of others. So many times when when I will speak about healing, I'll speak about something that happened almost 40 years ago now, and I probably have mentioned it here before, when the Lord healed my knees. 
in a, in a, in a Saturday evening. He healed my knees. I was using crutches. I was sometimes non-ambulatory, sometimes had to sit down to preach, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Didn't know how I was going to face it. I went to a surgeon. The surgeon said, well, you know, back then he said, worst thing you can do is actually do a knee operation. Let's see if we can get you through this. And then the Lord healed me. It's amazing to me when I tell that story of the Lord healing my knees, how many times people will come and say, would you pray for my knees? What am I doing? I'm building myself up, but I'm also building up others. Well, who are the ones most effective in telling others about Jesus? Is it older believers or is it newer believers? Who are the ones most effective in sharing their faith in Jesus Christ? Those who've known Jesus for decades, who've studied, who've read their Bibles, who've been in countless church services, who've watched copious amounts of Christian TV, etc., etc. They've got all the worship services. They listen to Bethel and all that. And, and if I could think of others, I would. And, uh, or is it the person who just recently came to Jesus with none of the benefits of, ser- of being a longtime Jesus follower, yet have had a recent personal revelation of Jesus that changed them. They've experienced Jesus. Who, who leads people to Jesus more readily? Counterintuitively, it always appears that it is the new believer who is the most effective at leading people to Jesus. It's the new believer who doesn't know anything about theology, who doesn't know... Uh, and this is, this, is, this is kind of an old, an old example. You have to be old like me to understand it. Doesn't know the book of Genesis from the rock group Genesis and, 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 and wouldn't know the first five books of the Bible and, 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 and can't, tell you, can't tell you if second hesitations is really a book in the Bible. And, 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 and they, they absolutely know nothing. They, they say absolutely goofy things and yet they lead more people to Jesus than I do. Be, and and I've, got a, I've got a little bit of a, a a background in studying the Word. Why is that? Because they're, they've built up their own faith. They've had such a radical change. New believers are most effective in winning others to Jesus. No theology, no arguments, but a definite transforming revelation of Jesus Christ. They've experienced what I call the divine disclosure. They've experienced the revelation of of Jesus Christ. And because of that, they can't help themselves but reveal him to others and talk about him even when they don't appear theologically to know what they're talking about. Consider the man born blind. In John chapter 9, there's 41 verses. In this brand new iPad, it doesn't appear to be moving anymore. Okay, here he goes. I don't know why she bought me one that was already cracked and it said, I love Lucy or something on it already. But anyway, she gave me that. But um, Consider this man born blind. And it's, it's, almost, it's almost a vaudevillian comic uh, portion of Scripture. I, I find it almost hilarious to read. It's John chapter 9, 41 verses of Scripture. And this guy, this man went through all these difficulties with the theological and cultural considerations that came into play when he had a personal revelation of Jesus, Jesus the healer. Well, it starts with Jesus and his disciples. 
first part of chapter 9. It starts with Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus and the disciples are walking along, and they see this man born blind, and the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned? Who sinned? Was it the man himself that caused him to be blind, or was it the parents that sinned that caused them to have a child born? You see, that was the theology of the day. If something went wrong with you, obviously it had to be very specifically, somebody had to take the blame. And frankly, all sickness is a result of sin from its original inception. So they weren't totally theologically off, but, but Jesus was basically saying to them, listen, I want you to know there's a grander purpose to this man being blind. And the grander purpose is so that this man can experience my healing touch and so that others can experience a witness to my goodness. So was it the parent's sin or was it the man's sin? And Jesus says, no, there's a higher purpose. So Jesus goes up to the man, and you'll note that from a recent news um, story that Somebody tried to duplicate this uh, in the United States a few, a uh, couple of weeks ago, and it caused a real stir. But Jesus spits and makes some mud with spit. Now, you know, times change, and you, you guys got to be very thankful. Your parents, your your mother has not done what my mother used to do. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. Why couldn't I use my own spit and wash my own face? Who gobs on their own children? It's not right. And I've been in therapy for years over this. So what she would do, because she was much, you know, my, my mother was very high class, she would spit on a napkin and then wipe my face with it. Classy woman. What Jesus did was he spit and made some mud, put some mud on the man's eyes, and then tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Well, a man immediately becomes, he immediately becomes healed. He's healed and he can see. And the neighbors take notice, obviously, and they're saying, isn't this Fred or isn't this Bubba or whoever, whatever they want, you know, whatever his name was. Isn't this Joe who was born blind? And they debate it back and forth. Well, I know it's him, but it can't be him because he's blind. Well, yeah, but it is him because he looks just like him, except that his eyes aren't all glazed over. He, he's, he's, he, can, he can see. and Yeah, but it can't be because, you know, how, did, how would he be able to be seeing all this, all this? He was a beggar for all this time. And it can't be. It must be. And he then does this. The man then does this. He, re, he retells them the powerful, life-changing story of his encounter with Jesus. He tells them this life-changing story. Well, what is interesting is, is the people then begin to snitch. They go to the religious leaders, and they bring him to the religious leaders, the theologians, the experts, who view themselves as the ones who are going to judge whether this miracle is sincere or not. And so they bring him, and they get into this comic, 
comedic kind of absurd back and forth argument between the man and the religious folks about the reality of his experience. And each one is making accusations against the other. The religious leaders are accusing this man of trying to be Christ's disciple, which of course wasn't really a good thing that, at that point. And the, and the man, in order to defend himself, he, he doesn't really understand all their theology, but he defends himself by saying, ah, you guys are trying to be Christ's disciples. And then, you know, you are, no, you are. And it sounds like an argument between two kids and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and my mother's bigger than your mother and all that kind of argument. And it was just dumb. It was just stupid. And amazingly, they bring the parents into it. Now, this is interesting. I love my children. I, I, I can't imagine ever abandoning my own children, but the parents are brought into it, and they try to get the parents to side with the religious leaders or side with their son. And amazingly, the parents duck the issue. Now, why did the parents duck the issue? Because the t- parents did not want to be thrown under the synagogue. They didn't want to be thrown out of, out of that 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 that. that that institution that, that made them socially acceptable. And so they, they, they kind of step back and say, I'm not taking a side. Which seems bizarre, doesn't it? But the cultural pressure was so real upon them as parents. And so they ducked the issue, and they wouldn't even side with their own son. But here's the climax. The climax is when the man admits he doesn't understand nor is he equipped to answer their theological arguments against Jesus, or even whether Jesus is legitimate. He just says this, there's one thing I know for sure. He replied, whether he, Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Just leave that there for a second, because I want us to say that together. This is so key that we understand this. Friends, I know a few theological arguments. I can tell you a little bit about the difference between what it means to be a Calvinist and and an Armenian or what it means to be a a charismatic versus not being a charismatic. I can can tell you a few of the arguments that are out there in theology, and, and, and that's all fine and good. The real question we have to ask ourselves is, have you had an experience in Jesus that somebody else can see, that you can tell somebody else, that they can actually begin, toward which they can begin to gravitate? So let's read that together. You ready? One, two, three. He replied, whether he, Jesus, is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Listen, friends. Somebody may come along and say, I don't agree with what you you people teach or what you people... Listen, you don't have to answer that. You don't have to feel like you've had to defend God. You know, sometimes people will come in the middle of a tragedy and say, where was God? How many have heard that? You don't have to defend where God may or may not have been. You just tell them your own story. How come God didn't care? I can tell you he cares for me. And he doesn't love me anymore and he loves anybody else. And I don't understand it just like you. And I'm willing to admit, I I have to deal sometimes with ambiguity. But I can say this to you, friends. Jesus cares about me. I want to tell you what he did in my family. I want to tell you what he did in my body. I want to tell you how he intervened in my life. This one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. He cannot be persuaded that it did not happen. He knows it did, and Jesus did it. He had his own personal disclosure of Jesus. He had his own miracle. He stuck with the story, and he believed it because he experienced it for himself. It was a divine revelation that he experienced. 
Now, here's what I'm advocating today. I am advocating that we not just know about God in our hearts or know Him with our, but with our hearts or, or I'm sorry, let me just start, let me say it all over again because I'm back in talk words and wixing up my merds. I am advocating that we not just talk about God in our heads or with our heads, with our head knowledge, but know Him with our hearts by experiencing in ways that we will know that it was Jesus who is the one working a miracle in us. And then we are willing to tell our story, which builds our faith, and it becomes a prophetic word for somebody else. Now you say, how does that work? How does my story become a prophetic word for somebody else? Well, I told you, when I talk about my knees, others begin to believe God for their knees. When I tell you my story about God intervening in my children's lives, then you begin to believe God that he can intervene in your children's life. When I, when I tell you my story of God protecting me in some difficult and dangerous situations in, 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 as I've traveled in various places in the world, I can tell you that you can believe God that he will similarly help you in your difficult situations. I, I have become somewhat of a nervous flyer and... Uh, I've been in more than 55 countries and, and, and traveled in different places and many places I've been over and over again. And I, you know, just, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a secure flyer. I just I feel nervous when I'm flying. And, and, and sometimes I really have to uh, uh, pray. I remember one time I was going somewhere. It was obviously in that, it was east because we were flying out of the eastern part of the United States and we were up over in the maritime provinces and then over, in, over Newfoundland. And over Newfoundland, it just became incredibly um, tumultuous and there was a lot of, what do you call that? Um, it's easy for you to say. It was horrific. It was, a, it was just awful. And, you know, and I'm there, and I'm just, you know, and I, and, and I put my head down, and I just, like, it was just calling out to the Lord, and, and you know, and I'm repenting of my sins, and then I, and, I, and it keeps on going, so it can't be me, it must be my wife, and so I'm repenting of all her sins, but it's only a seven-hour flight, so, I mean, there's not enough time, you know, so I had to kind of categorize things, blanket categorize them, um, you know. But one of the things I, I tell people is I, I have traveled literally hundreds of thousands, if not, you know, I, I don't know how many. I've traveled around the, the globe a few times. And, and, and he's been my protector. He's been the ever-present help in the time of trouble. I would, arise, I would arrive in airports by myself sometimes and somebody would be holding a sign, you know, Short fat preacher from America. Okay, that must be me. And 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 then I would I would I would get in the car with this guy, and I didn't know him, and we couldn't speak the same language, and he drove like my wife. I mean, it was just like, ah, you know, it was just crazy. And and I just hey, I can tell you that Jesus has been my protector. Here's the key. Elect not to argue, just tell your story. Faith will be built and people will respond to Jesus in his power. Jesus is not to be argued about, critiqued, or ignored. He's the one to be embraced. He's the one to be loved. He's the one about whom we are to speak and talk. Here's the statement you've heard a few times, I'm sure. The person with the experience 
is never at the mercy of the person with the argument. The man born blind said, listen, I don't know what you're... I don't know what you guys are theologically arguing about. I just know. I once was blind, but now I can see. We need a continual flow of the miraculous to expect that God will meet us in supernatural ways over and over again. How will people around you know of the Savior and be encouraged to respond in faith to Him? By your story, not by your theology. Now, friends, let me tell you something. I really think we need to talk about good, sound doctrine from time to time. I believe we need to talk about good, sound soteriology and Christology and eschatology and, and all the other ologies, ecclesiology being one of them that we miss too much. I, I think we do, and I, and I do try to do that. Having said that, when I'm talking to my neighbors and my friends and my family members, I don't talk about all that stuff. I talk about what Jesus has done. For me. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said this. He said he, when, he was going, when he went to Corinth and he was absolutely discouraged when he went to Corinth. He had just been in Athens and he had been in Athens and the church didn't, did not take off there. It's the only place Paul went that he never ever started a church. And he goes on to Corinth and he says to the Corinthians and he writes back to them and he says, hey, listen, my message when I came to you and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on what? Human wisdom. But on God's power. So he says, I came to you, man. I wasn't talking to you about a whole lot of theology. I wanted you to see that we serve a powerful God. And the powerful God that we serve worked miracles among you people in Corinth. And yes, you're messed up in your theology. But I want you to know that at least you have a faith that's built on the miraculous power of a living God who's still working today. Hmm. Now we close with two or three stories. So, I have this line in, when I was pastoring, I had this line of people at the front after a service and we were praying for them. And I, you, you, you have this kind of, kind of tug and pull whenever this happens because you know that, you know, People want to get to the get to the restaurant before the Baptist, and um, and so they 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 you know they'll come to the front, but you know they're look oh, man dear you know the buffet and somebody's going to get the chicken before I do, and and so you're 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 so you want to you want to pray for everybody, but then if you pray too long, then people will get this. And I don't. So I'm praying for these people, and then so I'll pray, and then I'll come over here, and then I'll come back over here, and then you know I'll move around, and so I was over here. And I was praying for somebody, and I don't even know who the person was or what, I, or what I was praying for, but I remember saying to the person over here and saying uh, as a declaration of faith over them, be free, be set free by the power of God. A lady who's standing over here, who most people did not know, but she had been addicted to cigarettes, and she was a very classy, upscale, real, really respected woman, and that doesn't mean that really classy, upscale women never have... You know, never smoked, but whatever. But she, this lady, had, you know, but people, no one knew that she had a cigarette issue and that she was trying to get rid of it, but she could not get rid of it. When I spoke that word to this person over here, this lady over here said, something just hit her, boom. And 
she went home and she crushed up her cigarettes and never smoked another cigarette after that day. And that had been a besetting issue with her for many, many, many years. Uh, there's another lady, it was the same kind of deal. I, I must, there must be something about this side of the church. There was a, and, and I was going along and I was praying long prayers, but I must have got concerned about the fried chicken. And, and, and so I came to this lady who I really knew well, and, and, and instead of praying a long prayer over her, I just said, touch! And then I went on to somebody else. Well, she felt ripped off because she paid her tithes. And, um, and, 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 and so she really felt ripped off because, and she, she also gave Pastor Appreciation Day offerings, and here I was, you know. And so she said, I felt like, you know, here you prayed these great big long prayers. I waited you all this time, and all you said over me was touch. And she said, I was pretty ticked off until the middle of the afternoon. I realized that I'd been absolutely, totally healed by the power of God. So I received this Christmas card this, this year with a, a, a gentleman and his wife who have helped us and supported us in our ministry, and they, they are eye surgeons. They, they're ophthalmologists. They're eye surgeons, but he's also the leading professor at the Dean McGee Clinic in Oklahoma City, very prestigious clinic, and he is a very uh, well-respected uh, eye surgeon and instructor and leader in that institution and known globally and writes a lot etc. And he's actually from this area. He's actually just from, I believe, the Holidaysburg area. And um, I met him many, many years ago when he worked at the uh, Baskin Palmer Clinic in Miami. And uh, he had came, came to faith in Christ. He was dating a girl at the time. She came to faith in Christ. They were both eye surgeons. And he writes me this note every year. And of course, I've watched his kids grow up in the Christmas card pictures. And he writes me this note, and he says, and, and, he, and he writes like, like a physician, and so we had to pray for the interpretation. And, um, and so he says, I remember the day, I remember the day that you prayed for, his wife's name is Rhea, he said, I remember the day you prayed for Rhea's womb to open. Now friends, I have no remembrance of that day. But you know what struck me is when I read that this year, when I received this Christmas card, I haven't seen him in probably 15 or 16 years, but keep in touch with him, sometimes talk to him on the phone, is it made me start to say, we can continue to pray for people's wounds to open. Because I was looking at a Christmas card with 18 and 19 and 20-year-old kids who had been serving the Lord. Here's the deal. I will not lead, I think I left a word out there, with arguments or political philosophies or moral pronouncements. It, I'm sorry, I apologize again. I, I, I don't know if you know this, but I struggle with dyslexia. And it's, it's no fun. You've heard about the dyslexic agnostic who also was an insomniac. He'd stay awake all night wondering if there's a dog. And... Um, It will not be, it should, I should have said, it will not be with arguments or political philosophies or moral pronouncements or a culture war about abortion or critical race theory or COVID mask and vaccine mandates that people will be won over. It will be your story of what God has done in you and through you 
that will change the landscape of faith and belief around you. This last story, and then we're going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you today, even this morning before you leave, and then I'm going to ask you to commit to, to telling your story this week to somebody. And everyone has a story. When I travel and I, I speak on a particular topic of dealing with ecclesiology, I tell my story of leadership and working in churches and some of the things that my wife and I have been through and have endured. And uh, and in saying that, I'm reminded that not only have we been in, through some things as leaders, but if I was your leader, you probably went a few th- went through a few things as me, having me as your leader. But there were traumatic, dramatic things. My lead usher was charged with murdering his wife, and I was a witness twice in a trial for prosecution. I could tell you just story after story of horrific things that have happened. And when I tell those stories, I always come to the end when there's a group of pastors and their spouses come to the end and I say, but that's my story. And as I'm telling my story, your story is flashing before your mind. And as I come to that point, I can literally hear people in the audience sobbing, weeping because they have been through or are going through some of the most horrific things in life and in ministry. I'm reminded of my daughter who was in Mozambique with with Heidi Baker's ministry many years ago. Speaking of another girl now, and I'll sew it together in the end. Speaking of another girl now who they picked up in the ditch They didn't know her age, but they assumed she was eight or nine years old that first thought she was dead. But they realized she was still physically alive, but she had been absolutely brutalized, beaten, molested repeatedly. She was a piece of human debris. Heidi used to take her and just sit her on her knee, and the girl never spoke. A word never came out of her mouth. She was so brutalized and so wounded. They dealt with her injuries. They dealt with the assaults that her physical body had borne, sexual assaults. It was just horrific but they couldn't get through to her psyche. She was, the, she was the, the beneficiary of their praying and their seeking God. After a year of sitting on Heidi's knee, one day she just spoke one word. And then two, and then eight, and then a thousand she never stopped the joy of Jesus flooded her life a lightness a freedom come over her she'd been delivered from the powers of darkness that tried to absolutely destroy her 
Well, my daughter was there. And they, they would go on flatbed trucks. And these flatbed trucks would take them to their outreaches to villages. The villages, of course, were animistic faith, tribal deities. And when they arrived, they'd hear the... And it was always the drumbeat of the witch doctor saying, these crazy people from the West are coming. We've got to somehow stop them. Don't forget your ancient face. Don't forget your ancient religions. Many of you thought that water bottle would drop. And because you had faith that it would, it did. And that's what these witch doctors would do. But they would arrive on their flatbed trucks with all their sound equipment, this big flatbed truck, and that was the stage, and that's where they would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they would say, you can be healed, you can be delivered, you can be set free from, demon, from being demonized, etc., etc. But the sad part was, is when they'd arrive in these villages, because of the because of that, it would stir up the people to say, hey, we want to be careful. We don't want these people around. We don't want them to break in. And they would feel intimidated by the witch doctor's beating of the drums. And they begin to throw rocks and bottles and garbage at these people coming on the flatbed truck. My daughter was there one day when, when they just decided, hey, this is getting too dangerous because literally large boulders were raining down on, on the team. But in this one particular day, Beatrice, she, she stood up. The truck was moving very slowly and she stood up and it was raining down the garbage and the filth and the rocks and the dust and the mud. It was being biffed at them and hurled upon them and she stood up. She had a story to tell. She said, come with me, come with me, bring your sick, bring your crippled, bring your children, bring all the ones who are wounded in this village, and I'll tell you what my God has done. She said, come with me, come with me, and, 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 and continue, the, 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 the stuff continued, they continued, but they set up, and as they set up, and they began to declare the power of the living God, and you know what happened? God began to move, and crippled children began to walk, and demonized people were set free, and wombs began to open, and God began to move, and there was a moral outpouring of the Spirit of God. Why? Because somebody had a story, and they told their story, and their story was so powerful it built faith the next day they got up from when they when they left that village the next day what did they hear they heard the but notwithstanding that there was a church there a brand new church with brand new believers who had experienced the power of God why because one abused and and, 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 and tormented young girl decided that she would say come with me and I'll tell you what my God has done Tell your story. You've been through a divorce. You've been wounded in a relationship. Your sick body has been racked with pain. 
you've struggled under the weight of debt, you wondered how you were going to make it, then Jesus came. And you've got a story to tell. This is my story. You watch. I don't know anything about theology. I just know that I once was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come, my brother. In the name of Jesus, here's what I need you to do. Say, we stand and we just sing this song. I just need you to turn to somebody and say, I've got a story to tell about X, whatever your X is. I'm not talking about those guys in Texas either. You've got a story to tell about a healing. You've got a story to tell about your deliverance. Just tell somebody next to you. Start the storytelling today. Find somebody in this room. If you can't tell your story here, hard time telling it somewhere else. But every one of you has a story to tell. My colleague is going to lead us.